welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Dusty White. I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune of Cormdale Church. Pastor Chris Hamelman is still, I don't know, he's just out. He's usually with us. I think he's a pastor at First City Church somewhere. Every Wednesday we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. And today we're talking about the future of the church. This is a topic we try to think a lot about. And there's an article recently by Jake Meter at Mere Orthodoxy um, back in August that I've been thinking a little bit about, and I want to summarize some of the points he's making and actually sort of reflect on his proposal of what the future of the church is. Um, I was intrigued by this article. I think it yeah. has some interesting proposals, and it, it works out a, a sense of where our culture is that I think is actually pretty interesting. And I respect the fact that Jake Meter seems to be kind of a prophet of our time. At least, at least he's taking a stab at. Yeah. Hey, this is probably where we're headed. Yeah. They uh, there's some courage there. Yeah. Jake is a is a thoughtful writer and a, a, a good analyst of where things are. And I like an, I like any time somebody puts goes out on a limb and says, "Here's where I think things are going. Here's where I think the future of the church might be." And so, as those who care about the flourishing of the church and the church's relationship to culture. This is a topic I, I want to think about with our listeners. So most of our listeners, hey, by the way, love y'all out there. It's so fun to run into people. Every time I go, so I was just in Des Moines recently, and I ran into a couple of people that were like, hey, I'm a listener to the Wednesday Conversation. I just nice. love meeting people who are like, oh, yeah, cool. There's people out there that just in their job in Des Moines. There's people actually listening. Because they're riding this. their bike and you know driving to work and whatever. They, they listen and they engage. And so... Uh, those of you listeners out there, here's what I know about you. Uh, you care about the flourishing of the church, and you tend to want to think well about culture and like where the church is and where it's headed. And one of the big questions we all have right now is like, what's going on in the church? You've heard about the great de-churching. We did a podcast on that uh, a few months ago. You had that article a few years ago about the six-way fracturing of evangelicalism that a lot of people have talked about and sort of that seems to name some fragmenting in the evangelical church. You've had us do podcasts on even the question of like, is the word evangelical even meaningful anymore? Or is it just a political term? So Jake Meter has an interesting proposal here. And the title of the article is The American Church in the Fourth Republic. The reason I didn't title the podcast that is because none of you have any idea what he's talking about <laughs> when he says the Fourth Republic. So I don't want to title the podcast that and have you be like, well, I don't know what that means. So I'm going to, explain that because I think it's actually an interesting paradigm on history. He's following here the historian Michael Lind, who says that the history of the American Republic is actually the history of three different republics. It's what America was like up through the Civil War. It's the Civil War through the Great Depression. And then it's the Cold War era. And now we're in what Jake wants to call the Fourth Republic, the post-Cold War era. So let me survey these three sort of movements of American history for you, because I think they do sort of name something important about our country. If you think about what Michael Lind calls the first republic, from the American founding up through the Civil War, so, you know, 1620, when the Mayflower lands, if you want to go back that early, or 1776, if you want to use the Declaration of Independence, but that whole time of like the early colonial era up through 1865, the end of the Civil War. What you had in that period was you had the first and second Great Awakenings. 
you had the growth of like the Methodist movement, the circuit rider preachers, you know, the America started out with sort of these traditions that were primarily Episcopal and congregational churches in New England. And then you had sort of the wave of the Baptists and the Methodists that were a little more decentralized and sort of more frontier churches. And of course you had slavery as the defining national sin, the the thing in America that made us untrue to our principles and that took a war to finally eradicate. And so that's those, that era of time is what Michael Lind calls the first Republic. The second Republic is the civil war through the great depression. So let's say 1865 through 1933. This is a time of industrialization, westward expansion, uh, theological modernism and liberalism, and the building of strong Christian institutions, especially outside of New England. If you think about New England, you had you know Harvard and Princeton and Yale and all those colleges that were started as preacher training colleges back in the 1700s. But in the Second Republic era, you had you know D.L. Moody and Billy Graham and you know all these. I guess that's pre-Billy Graham's not true. Billy Graham's Third Republic, but but Billy you, Graham was on his. His coattails in the <laughs> same area. Ready to come. Yeah, but in the same area. The idea is that, that, you know, some of the institutions we have today, especially in the northern United States, you know, some of the bastions, colleges, seminaries, the institution building kind of was the early 20th century. You think about places like uh, Westminster Seminary founded in 1929, or you think about places like Wheaton College and some of the institutional weight, even of like large city churches in places like Chicago or Denver or San Francisco. This is sort of second Republic work. And then the third Republic is basically the, the new deal post-depression 1933 through the cold war. And I'm going to put the end date here at 2000, because even though the cold war officially ended in 1989 with the fall of the Berlin wall, I think the 1990s are still sort of a Cold War era. And what happens there is you have this fusion of liberal democracy, free market capitalism, and cultural Christianity. Jake Meter says the defining era of the Third Republic was the 1950s. And what dominated the 1950s is the mainline Protestant churches. I mean, this was the heyday of mainline Protestantism. One in six Americans was a member of a mainline Protestant church in the 1950s. If you are familiar with the work of Ross Douthat, Ross Douthat wrote a book uh, about a decade ago now called Bad Religion, in which he sort of chronicles the thriving of the mainline Protestant church in the 1950s and gives a bunch of stories about sort of how definitive Protestant Christianity was in that era. Jake Meter speaks of the mainline church as like the conscience of America. It was like you had, you had government and you had industry, but then you had this mainline Protestant Christianity that sort of was the conscience of America and kind of kept us tethered to some kind of biblical morality. It's a good moral code. Yeah. So now Jake meter suggests we're, we find ourselves in the fourth Republic. The mainline has collapsed the American economic system continues to churn out wealth and the nation continues to secure the political conditions for wealth creation to happen, but the conscience has been lost and the collapse of the mainline has kind of led to a collapse of public morality and public Christianity. And so you have all the sort of like 
post-Christian milieu that we find ourselves in now. And one of the things about him saying that the mainline has collapsed is a lot of those people in the mainline are still in denial about the collapse. <laughs> right. The mainline traditions have not really embraced the collapse yet, uh, but the collapse has happened. And, you know, if you if you listen to our episode on the Great Dechurching, you you are familiar with those stats. It's It's beyond argument, really, that we are in a different moment than the Cold War era of America and of Christianity. So I think Jake's thesis that we're in a fourth republic, I like this treatment of history. I like something that divides it into four and says, right, you got the early America, you got civil war to the Great Depression, you got the Cold War, and now now we're in something else. Without a war, though. Without a war, thankfully. Well, so far. And I think what I like about that is I think we all, all of us who are listening to this podcast can intuitively capture the reality like something has changed. I mean, we've talked about this repeatedly with like Aaron Wren's article on the negative world, yep. Um, yep. all the questions around, you know, what is, what was the Trump phenomenon, all the questions around wokeness. All of us realize like, yeah, I don't really know what's different about the world we're living in, but something has definitely changed. And the idea of a fourth republic without capturing exactly what changed is just naming that and saying, yeah, we're in a different world now than the 1980s and 90s. So what's this moment characterized by? Jake Meter says there's two major crises, um, a crisis of meaning and purpose and a crisis of loneliness. These are the two defining realities of modern life. First, we have all this wealth and all this technological power. We don't really know what to do with it yeah. because the communities that helped people find a sense of meaning and purpose either have dissolved or are dissolving. You see this in everything from the breakdown of the family, the breakdown of mediating institutions like schools and churches and civic organizations, and just the reality that like, man, we're more entertained than we've ever been, but have less meaning in our lives than we ever have. And then a crisis of loneliness. More and more people are lonely. More and more people are despairing. Families are smaller, and the the ties that used to knit families together are looser. And so you have people, you know, families, whereas a generation or two ago, maybe most of your family lived in the same place. Now they tend to be all over the place. You know, you might fly Mm -hmm. across the country to visit family. Right. You're not just driving down the road to grandma's house, you're flying, you know? And so that all contributes to a crisis of loneliness and a sense of isolation in the world. And he talks about a lack of friendship in adulthood, which I, I like that he highlights that. Yeah. He also says people just have not been properly parented. Yeah, we're going to come back to that one. I think that's really interesting. Okay, so four republics, that's the first thing, right? So we're in this fourth republic. The crises of that time are a crisis of meaning and a crisis of loneliness. So what does all that mean for the church? This is where this article makes an interesting proposal. Jake Meter suggests that what we're going to see and what we should work for is reformational Catholic churches, Catholic with a small c. And wait, what, wait, wait, what do you mean by that? Reformational Catholic churches. So what he envisions here is, you know, it used to be that the, the defining category was a denomination. Are you a Baptist? Are you a Presbyterian? Are you Methodist? Are you Anglican? What Jake sees is that actually all of those denominations now are kind of fracturing and fragmenting. 
and kind of what he's calling for is a new sort of, he calls it a new main line. Yeah. Like a new aligning around churches that share together four defining features. One, they're robustly committed to the biblical witness on sex and gender. That is the defining question of our day. Second, they're deep in the Catholic tradition. So they have a, a good sense of history and tradition. Third, they're defined by a dispositional conservatism that favors slowness, custom, and traditional Christian habits and practices. And fourth, they're missional. And what he means by missional is not we say we're missional. He means yeah. you actually have real relationships with your real non-Christian neighbors and you're genuinely present in their lives and aware to their awake to their sensitivities and struggles. And we're also not expecting them to show up like they did in the third Republic in a seeker sensitive way, a missional way is like legit relationships. Yeah. He he means again, I think the best way of saying it is just, we have genuine friendships with non-Christians and actually are making common cause with our fellow humans in the world. When I read those four categories, I was like, yep, that's what Coram Deo is. And all the churches I feel kinship with share those four distinctives. They're, they're robustly yeah. committed to a biblical view of sex and gender. They're deep in the Catholic tradition. Catholic with a small C, again, for you <laughs> listeners that are going to freak out. They have a dispositional conservatism. I love that. Basically, what a dispositional conservatism means is they're not reactionary. They yeah. move slow. They don't change quickly. They're not trying to like catch the wind on all the most current cultural trends. They're just sort of deep in basic Christian spiritual formation. Just like, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, we're not building an app or using a QR code or yeah. Yeah, we're not doing the next thing that everybody's doing. We're just saying, uh, let's be slow and favor traditional Christian habits and practices. Not that apps are bad or if you use a QR code, you're evil, okay? Don't hear me saying what I'm not saying. We're just not quick adopters right. on absolutely everything cultural. Right. That's kind of what he's saying. And then that missional component that means not we're trying to get clever about how to be cool, but it just means like, yeah, we're trying to have real relationships with non-Christians. That Those four characteristics resonated with me because I feel like that's the kind of church I'm trying to lead. It's a yeah. church that does those four things. I liked when he said, to be missional, you have to be conversant enough in their ways of thinking. Yes. And as I'm thinking about just interacting with my actual neighbors that live by me, sometimes just based on my daily routine and life in the church and the work I'm doing, I have to do work the older I get to stay conversant in the things that my neighbors are interested in. Yes. So what Jake is suggesting is, okay, so you're going to have Presbyterian churches, Anglican churches, Baptist churches, uh, congregational churches, uh, Pentecostal churches, you're going to have churches in all these streams that share those four features with one another. And that's going to give them a sense of unity that they don't necessarily have with other churches in their denomination. I even feel this within Acts 29, Dusty, we've oh, talked about totally. this. That like we're part of the, you know, we've been part of this big network of hundreds of churches. And it's like, there's some Acts 29 churches. I'm like, dude, these people think exactly like we do. <laughs> and then there's others who are like, I I don't know. Like we're in the same yeah. network, but they're, but what does that mean? They don't yeah. really, they don't really look at ministry the same way we do. And we've had people move to other cities and they're like, where would you recommend that I go to church? I'm like, I, you know, 
Yeah. Here's some churches that have the same affiliations we do, whether it's Acts 29 or Gospel Coalition or whatever, but you have to go to the church to figure out, do they have the same kind of heart? You know, do yeah. they do they resonate with the same kinds of things? So I'm intrigued that I do think this is a way of defining what is the new kind of center around which we can build Christian orthodoxy or around which orthodox churches are going to align. I remember back in 2005 when D.A. Carson and Tim Keller started the Gospel Coalition, they were trying to essentially redefine the center of evangelicalism. They were trying to say, what are churches going to rally around? And that seems to be the same kind of thing Jake is doing here, is to say there's going to be churches that have all kinds of different denominations, but what's going to unite them together in sort of this new main line, as he calls it, is a commitment to these four things, these, a, mm-hmm. a kind of way of looking at the world and ministry and the gospel that, that orients around these things. And kind of what feels a little bit different, maybe, or new compared to 2005, some of the work that Keller and Carson needed to do was theological, right. robust work. It seems like what Jake is driving at in this article is more an authentic, transformative presence in a particular locality. Yes. Almost. It's almost like a Zach Eswine meets yeah. 2005 TGC. Yeah. And it heads even more in that direction when we look at the next section of the article where he says, here's three practical ministry strategies. So he's saying, hey, for churches that share this vision of sort of a reformational, small C Catholic vision of life, what would they be doing to address the crisis of meaning and loneliness? So he sort of says, okay, so you have these you have this moment, Fourth Republic. You have these two crises, lack of meaning and loneliness. You have churches that sort of coalesce around these four things. What would their ministry tend to look like in a world that's very lonely and disconnected? And he, he names three things that I was just like, wow, Dusty, these, yeah. these are kind of what we're trying to do. We didn't have this language for it, and they get me kind of excited. The three practical ministry strategies are what he calls reparenting, geographic density, and limiting technology. Yeah. You get excited about this I stuff, do. don't you? I do. <laughs> and what what I got excited about was not just the way he did this, but I thought like, man, what did he leave on the cutting room floor yeah. to get this article out? And how did he get here? I think reparenting the lost, as he calls it, is the missional opportunity. He, I want to read about this reparenting because it's a, it's a fascinating way of framing it. Basically, think about what we generally would think of as care and counseling in the church, right? Um, helping people sort through their struggles, their needs, their pains, their losses in life, um, coming alongside them in moments of need, and whether that need is emotional, relational, whatever. He says... In a, in a society where the family is fragmenting and where people haven't been taught how to become mature adults, the way to think about the church's ministry is just reparenting. And he talks about it as providing a steady, constructive voice in people's lives. So it's kind of like pastoral counseling, but it's even more just like, hey, Dusty, here's how to you know dress right for that job interview. Yeah. You know, here's how, here's like, it's the kind of things that a good mom and dad would bring to their kids. He's saying the church needs to be that kind of a community. And as it is that way, as it offers just practical help to people, it's helping to solve that crisis of loneliness and isolation. I also like how he, he doesn't do away with professionalism. He's just saying 
really what we need to be in the church is we have to have an abundant competence. Hmm. And that phrase is something to aim at, I think, for pastors, for mature Christians. That's what What does he mean by that abundant competence phrase? What he's saying is, um, I think I think what he's saying there is instead of everybody needs to be a pro at their thing, the church needs to have mature Christians that don't need to be good at absolutely everything. But if we have to, if I always need a pro, then I'm already limited. I think what he's getting at here is especially pastors can can have an abundant competence, always be learning, always be growing. And yeah, we're going to need some professionals along the way in certain areas, in the counseling world especially, but but not always is, is what I think he's getting at. The second thing is geographic density. And what he means here is just like we should have people live near one another. In a world that's very commuter-ish and where people spend a lot of time running all over the place, the best way to build a dense community is to be in community with people who live near you. And I think that's a really powerful opportunity. You know, it's what we have tried to do as a church with gospel communities, but even our gospel communities aren't always geographic. But I think his vision here of, hey, if you have some Christians who live in your neighborhood, and that that's the easiest way to do community. And it, it gives you the, the highest probability of an overlap of life yep. and a real meaningful sharing of actual life with one another. And then he talks about the, the ministry of limiting technology, limiting phones in church, reducing yeah. our dependence on technology, being sort of like analog and old school in our Christian practices. This is a wonderful rebuke to all the churches totally. that are like running headlong into the like, let's embrace all the technology all the time. You know, I was in a church recently where, you know, the guy read the call to worship off his iPhone. I was just like, no, 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 <laughs> no, don't be doing that. You get yeah. an actual Bible out, you know? Yeah. Because it, it models something for people yeah. about the presence of technology all the time in our lives. I did a, I did a graveside service recently. And even though I used my iPad, I, I, and the scripture was in my script on the iPad, I almost left home without my Bible. And instead I was like, no, 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 no. The, the Bible needs to be present yeah. in, in this moment. Even if I'm just carrying it there, there's a sense of authority that just me carrying the scriptures to that graveside bring. Even if I don't open it, it needs to be there as the foundation of my iPad. Yeah. And, and he's just, I mean, we're not far here. The The world and the culture are already telling us that all of our technologies, you know, we're, we're two alone together, right, is his phrase. Right. So I think Jake is painting for us here a vision of the future of the church that's intriguing because it suggests that the future of the church is going to be churches aligning around four sort of dispositions, if you want to think of them that way, or postures in the world. And then some interesting practical ministries that are different than what we might normally name. The idea of reparenting people or of just having geographic density with one another or of limiting technology. When you say like, hey, what is your ministry strategy for reaching the next generation, Dusty? Nobody says like, well, uh, limiting technology is our ministry strategy. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're all like, uh, you know, here's what we're going to try to do evangelistically. But what he's saying is actually, these are three strategic, like practical approaches to ministry that in an age of loneliness and a loss of meaning, actually 
enable the church to create real human community. And that seems to be, I mean, in all of Jake's writing, he tends to want to prioritize humanness. Like the fact yeah. that and that's where he is really similar to Jack, Zach Eswine in the sense of like that both those guys are very committed to like, Hey, let's just be human. Yeah, right. Let's be actually human. And in the conclusion of Jake's article, he says, we live in a society that has mostly forgotten what people are. If we are to have a missionary encounter with such a world, it will begin by modeling normal, healthy, sane human life together. I think that's a great basically saying just like just yeah. be human. Right. And when you're human in a dehumanizing world, kind of stands out. Yeah. It's kind of intriguing. Yeah. The impact of this article, I think, for our listeners is just to suggest I want if you are a church leader listening to this or a small group leader in your church or someone that has a influence in your church, I want you to think about um, how does this map onto how you currently think about ministry in the modern age? To what extent are you thinking about being slow to embrace new ideas, being deep in the Catholic tradition? being robustly committed to the biblical witness on sex and gender? And then have you ever thought about the necessity of the church doing things like geographical density or like the work of reparenting, helping people become fully mature human beings, being a steady and mature voice in their lives? How are you thinking about these aspects of Christian ministry and and about rehumanizing or more deeply humanizing the ways we live together that seems to be the thrust that Jake wants to put before us here and i i think it's helpful for us to think about okay how do we lean in that direction how do we move the church in that direction i'm actually intrigued by if if in 20 years from now we're going to talk less in terms of i'm a presbyterian i'm an anglican i'm a baptist i'm a Pentecostal and more in terms of, yeah, I'm kind of a reformational Catholic, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of, kind of a reformational Christian who's committed to a broad based unity around some real simple ideas. Yeah. And I think to that locality piece, you know, one of the ways that we try to do this around here is just across the street from our actual church building is a bunch of shops. Right. And so we, that's not the only place we go, but that's where I try to do my dry cleaning where we try to go to restaurants. It's where we grab our ice cream. You just had my haircut over there yeah. right before this podcast. <laughs> Mul- you, you and multiple people are getting their haircut over there. I tried that, but I didn't like, I didn't, it was kind of a hack job. It wasn't the, the guy. Went, he wasn't so the guy, huh? Wasn't my guy. But anyway, there's a sense where, yeah, let's just try here. You know, um, I don't think we're killing it, but at least we know people's names over there and then they can go, oh yeah, you're, you're the pastor across the street. You know, yeah. I just don't think that's happening in most cities, yeah. you know? Yeah, what does that geographical density look like for you? And how are you trying to be physically present with real humans in some kind of regular way in your neighborhood and in the patterns of life you live in? So, hey, let's try to preach the gospel and model the gospel well in the Fourth Republic, the post-Cold War world where people are starving for meaning and purpose where they're highly lonely and where we have all kinds of ability to create wealth but no idea how to live a meaningful 
and productive existence in the things that really matter. Let's think about going and being gospel witnesses in the Fourth Republic. We'll post the link to this actual article in the show notes if you haven't read it and would like to go read it. We'll make sure you can find it in the show notes to this podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader in a different context, we thank you for listening in and we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your particular context. We always love to hear from listeners. So if you have thoughts, questions, snacks, or future podcast topics, you can send us your snacks. And if you have topic ideas, you can send an email to podcast at cdomaha.com. And if you know where Chris Hellman is, send him back to the podcast room yeah. for he, next time around. Chris better bring snacks. Yeah. He owes us. For real. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.